Man, I wish I could write hymns like that. Wouldn't that be something, eh? He just sat down and it all just came together. Wow. Of course, he had to get blown out of his chair, eh? Just about when he was shaving, listening to that guy on the radio. Made him so mad. Sometimes when you get a little bit uh, of righteous indignation, you're able to do a few things that you normally can't. We're in chapter 2 of Philippians. Chapter 2. We have successfully worked our way verse by verse through chapter 1, and we're borrowing J. Vernon McGee's homespun um, alliterated outline for this book, and chapter 1 was the philosophy of Christian living. And so chapter 2 uh, begins the pattern for Christian living, the pattern for Christian living. So, with your Bibles open at Philippians chapter 2, let's bow our hearts for prayer once more. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. What a marvelous book, wonderful book. And a man has tried to destroy it for thousands of years, and he can't do it. Every year, more Bibles are printed, filling the world more and more with the Word of God. Lord, we thank you so much for this marvelous book that teaches us about heaven, about hell, teaches us who you are teaches us what we must do to be saved and born again, part of your family. Teaches us how to overcome sin and bad habits. Teaches us how to be filled with joy, love, and peace. Teaches us how to make life worthwhile and not worthless. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, help us tonight as we study a few more verses here in your book. Bless, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, Paul begins chapter 2 with an appeal for Christians to care for one another, not just for themselves, because that happens. That's the, uh, the natural thing for people in the world is to put their own needs first. And when people get saved, they sometimes carry this baggage into the Christian life and right into the church. Uh, me first, me first, what's in it for me? And put my needs first. And, and this is a mistake. And here in uh, the book of uh, Philippians chapter 2, he is uh, starting this chapter here with a call for Christians to care for others, not just for themselves. You see, um, the world has its way that it wants us to live. Uh, the world wants us to act a certain way and talk a certain way and dress a certain way and certain kind of music to listen to and certain kind of of things, you know, places to go the world's way. And that's why when the world finds out that you went to church on a Wednesday night when, when it's beautiful weather and the sun is shining, what are you, nuts? Because that's not their way, is it? They see no joy whatsoever. In... Um, coming to, uh, to church and or sitting there and letting some guy tell you how wicked you are. That's not what we do at church. But, you know, that's their crazy, their crazy minds. That's the, uh, the way of the world, but it's not God's way. God gives us a different pattern to follow, and God teaches us to have a servant's heart and care for others, and God says if we will do that, then we live uh, the Christian life before an unsaved world. They cannot deny this. Now, please, let's turn back to the Gospel of John. 
go to John chapter, where is it John going? There he is. Chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is a very important truth tonight. And, um, you know, the thing about important truths is that they're uh, usually repeated several times in the scriptures. Now, John chapter 13, we have the words of our Lord Jesus. And I'd like to solicit your help uh, by reading with me verse 35. John 13, 35. You have that? Let's read it out loud all together now. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The all men here would be the unsaved as well as the saved. And when we exhibit Christ's love one for another, it's a powerful uh, testimony to the unsaved world that this place is different. These people are different. There's something different about these people. Now, as I say, important truths are often repeated, so turn to the right, go past the book of Acts to the book of Romans, chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, and I'll get chapter 5, and Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse number 13. Verse 13, Galatians 5 and 13. Let's read that out loud together also. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Wow. Now let's keep going, and we're going to go past Philippians and Colossians. We're going to get to 1 Thessalonians, and we'll go to chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 9. Okay? Philipp sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9. Let's read that together. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So when people get saved... They have a, a new heart, they have a new mind, and all of a sudden they, they feel that they want to love other Christians and, and take care of them and, and be kind and sweet. That's a normal, uh, uh, a normal phenomena that happens when we get saved, and it's one of the evidences and how we can know we're saved. If we love the brethren, if we love uh, Christians, um, unsaved people generally don't like Christians. Because Christians have different uh, mindset, they got a, a different uh, heart than they do, and they just don't want to be in the room with them. They're like, oh, holy Joe, the Sunday school stuff. Ooh, get get them out of the room. But when we become a Christian, part of the family of God, all of a sudden now the people that we sort of thought were weird and we we despise now all of a sudden we we kind of like them, and that's an evidence on how we we can know that we're part of God's family. Let's keep turning to the right, almost to the end of the Bible, 1 John chapter 3. So just before Revelation, you've got 1 and chapter 3, and verse 11. 
1 John 3.11. 1 John 3.11. Okay, let's read that. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And over in chapter 4 and verse number 7. This will be the last one we look at here. Verse 7. Let's read it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. There it is right there. That's what I was saying earlier. This is one of the ways we can know if we're saved, part of God's family, it's because we love God's people. If someone says, well, I'm part of God's family, I'm going to heaven, and yet they don't love God's people, they don't love other Christians, they're a liar or they're deceived. Because this is a normal phenomena that happens when we get saved is we have a new heart. The Lord gives us a new heart and He teaches us. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to remember it all the time. Sometimes we forget. But as a rule of thumb, we, uh, we have a new set of affections for saved people. And so let's go back to uh, Philippians. Find our way back there. Chapter 2. And so the pattern for Christian living begins with a servant's heart and caring for others. Now, the key word here tonight is the word others. Others. Try and keep that in mind. So, we go to uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. And he, he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Now, when Paul says, if there be, he's not saying, oh, there might be, there might not be, there could be, maybe not, who knows. That's not what he's saying. Uh, he's using this in, in the force of an argument as if it were a foregone conclusion. Like if I said to you, if you got any life in your body, then you would do this. Well, obviously you have life in your body. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have life in your body. You'd be over at the funeral home or in the morgue or maybe you'd be buried or something if you had no life in your body. But if I said to you, uh, if, you uh, if you had... Uh, any life in your body, sometimes um, uh, a parent trying to drill a message home you know, to their stubborn daughter or stubborn son might say to them, if you had an ounce of brains in your head, why then you would do this and not that. Well, obviously they have brains in their head. Now that's maybe not a very uh, good example. But do you get the idea? It's the force of an argument here. So he's saying, we, we could almost paraphrase him, since there is, or since there be. So if you look at chapter 2 again, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, and there is, uh, if any comfort of love, and there is, you get the idea there, what he's saying? So it's the force of an argument. Consolation, boy oh boy, that means a, a great soothing. That's what that word means, a great soothing. And we find that in Christ. This is, um, you know, one of the amazing things about being saved and being part of God's family is there's tremendous soothing of our heart and soul and spirit and conscience in Christ. The guilt and the weight of sin is gone. All those creepy evil things we may have done in our former life before we got born again, God has forgiven them. And we've got a, a sense of being forgiven. Forgiven. Boy, that's great soothing. And we know that we have that in Christ. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That is great soothing. That is consolation. And is there any in Christ? Well, of course there is. It's the force of the argument. So he's saying, if there be, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, the word comfort means to be, to, to make strong, and that's one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit. So much so that Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. The Comforter has come. And the Holy Spirit is able to make us strong in areas that we have been weak in. Sometimes uh, we're, uh, uh, you know, because of years spent in the world and living for the world and the ways of the world, and then we get born again, we get saved, we get all these weaknesses, all these hang-ups, these uh, uh, addictions we've had uh, of the mind and of the body. Uh, we were addicted to bad language. We were addicted to uh, pornography. We were addicted to greed. We were addicted to laziness and addicted to lust and things like that. And these are these are things we need strengthening against. And we uh, often, even even unsaved people, will sometimes say, "I know it's wrong, but I've got no power over it. I I, I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I can't help myself." Well, we don't have that problem in Christ, do we? We've got the Holy Spirit who is able to give us victory. We can be more than conquerors uh, in this world through Christ. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, there's comfort, I'll say. And then he goes on, he says, if there be any fellowship. Well, our primary source of fellowship is with God himself. Um, Lance was up here and read for us the story a moment ago about how uh, uh, that, that preacher, he... Um, well, I like that expression he used Sunday night. I gave him the second barrel. I like the sound of that. You get the first barrel Sunday morning and the second barrel Sunday night. Uh, hmm. I think I'm going to try and work that into a sermon one of these days. I'm not sure. But um, um, the, our fellowship, our, our, our primary source of fellowship is Christ. And in Him, we, boy, He's not dead, He's alive. You say, how do you know he's alive? Because I just finished talking with him. You, the world doesn't get it, do they? And the world says, oh, you're fooling yourself. They don't know. They haven't a clue. They, you see, someone who's never tasted peanut butter and tries to argue against peanut butter, the taste of peanut butter, when they've never tasted it, right? It's like sometimes the Catholic priest trying to teach the parents how to raise their kids when they've never even been married, let alone had kids themselves. You know, where is the wisdom in that? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what the Bible says. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. And that wonderful day when you trusted Christ as your Savior and had your sins washed away and that wonderful sense of freedom and forgiveness and uh, consolation and great soothing and comfort, the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship that you have with God. You get up in the morning and say, Good morning, Lord. What are we going to do today? Boy, that's fellowship. Man. And he goes on and he says, Bowels and mercies. And these are the tender feelings of pity that we certainly find in Christ and in our Heavenly Father. It's a wonderful thing to know that the Father loves His children. Now, that can't be said for all human fathers. Isn't that the truth? A lot of human fathers are cold-hearted. A lot of human fathers are uncaring. Not our Heavenly Father. He cares for His own. 
Now remember, there's two fathers, if you will, in the world today. One is the Heavenly Father. Who might the other father be? Anyone know? Someone said it? I think somebody said it. I can't hear you. Try it again. Louder? Louder. Go on. Don't be shy. Can't hear you. The devil. Yeah. Jesus made that abundantly clear. He looked at a bunch of religious people and said, Ye are of your father, the devil. And as evidence, he talked about their lying. And that's what unsafe people do. They lie, don't they? And it's nothing for them to tell lies. Nothing at all. Boy, it's not so little for us to tell lies. Man, that's a, that's a sin. That's not right. And so, that's not something generally that we do. But the bowels and mercies are found in Christ, our Savior, and God the Father. Now look at verse 2. He says, Fulfill ye my joy. Where was Paul when he wrote these words? Anyone remember? Prison. Right. He was in a Roman prison. He wasn't in the Waldorf Astoria on a chaise lounge sipping iced tea in air-conditioned comfort. He was in a smelly Roman prison. Quite likely rat-infested. And he wrote these words, Fulfill ye my joy. How can a man be happy when he's in prison? <laughs> you don't know the Apostle Paul. Because he could see things from God's perspective. Wow, how to make an apostle happy. There's a good sermon title right there. How to make an apostle happy. But not only the apostle, but also the heavenly father. This is the heart of God as well. So he says, Fulfill ye my, me, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now being like-minded means to have similar opinions and similarities in thought process. Say, how's that going to happen? That'll happen as we all study the same Bible. That'll happen as we, as we all bow the knee and pray uh, to the same throne of grace. That'll happen as we all draw close to God and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And as we do these things, we will develop like-mindedness. You see, when you hang around people, often you sort of become like them to a degree. You hang around the Lord and you become like Him. And that's the mind we want. When Peter and John were uh, arrested and taken before the Jewish Sanhedrin and accused of preaching about this Jesus, anyhow, at the end of the, um, the chapter, those, um, those councilmen, they looked at each other and they took note. These guys had been with Jesus. These men had spent time with Jesus. And when you and I spend time with Jesus, there's a change in our behavior. And one of our changes is like-mindedness. One of the problems, and I think it's a problem in every church all over the world, and when I say church, I'm not talking about some big cathedral you know, where the stained glass gets caught in your throat. I'm talking about a, a, a local a body of saved, baptized, joined together through membership Christians. And they're, they're reading and teaching and preaching from the Word of God. And just as their families are different around the world, you're going to get churches that are different around the world. Some of their 
their styles are going to be a little bit different. But is Christ the head of that church? Yes or no. Is the Bible being preached in that church? Yes or no. Is the gospel and way of salvation being made plain? Yes or no. And these are the verities of the faith. And in, in real churches, these are the same all over the world. And listen to this, down through the last 2,000 years. The, the churches may not have all been called Baptist. The churches may not have all been multicultural. The churches may not have all been this or that. But if they have those verities of the faith, that's a church. It's very important that we understand this. What is a church? But um, uh, as we all study the same Bible and we all pray to the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus and we all worship God in spirit and in truth, we're going to become like-minded in the way we think and process. Um, enough said on that. Let's move on. And uh, so he's saying, Fulfill ye my joy, like-minded, same love. That's the same love for God and the same love for the things of God. Whatever God loves, you and I ought to love. And God loves His people. We ought to love one another. Then he says, one accord. The word accord means to have your hearts together. Uh, the Latin uh, root here is cor, C-O-R, the word for heart. Having the hearts together. Our hearts joined together like a church family. And then he says, one mind as well. That's similar to being like-minded. So the second mention here is for emphasis. And I think it would be well to turn the page and look at chapter 4. And we've looked at these two... Um, church ladies uh, before. We're going to just look at them again. Chapter 4, verse 2. Two of the ladies in the church. I beseech Iodius and beseech Syneche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You see, even the church of Philippi, which was a marvelous, wonderful church, folks. If we lived in Philippi in the first century, that's where we want to go to church. Wonderful, great place. But even that church had some trouble. Every church, this one included, has problem. Then where does the problem come in? Problem comes in through our humanity. We bring it to church with us. Someone has a beef with this. Someone is ticked off because of that. Someone has a personal agenda for, for this. Someone, someone has a, a like or dislike for this over here. And it's that humanity that will often disturb the waters. And so, to be of one mind here... What we're saying is unity in the church is vital. And Paul was uh, talking here about a pattern for Christian living and the key word being others. And so in order for us to experience and to grow in the pattern, we have to zero in on the people around us. Not so much ourselves, but others. If we will minister to others, we will get ministered to. I heard this back when I was in Bible college in the 1970s, but um, it's still true. After all these years, I've, I've rarely seen it to fail. You go into a, a hospital to minister someone to be a blessing to them. You go into a nursing home to be a blessing, minister to them, and you'll come out of there blessed. You'll go in thinking, well, I'm going to be a blessing to these dear people, and you'll come out of there walking on clouds. You'll just feel blessed. When you reach out and minister and care for others, you'll find that the Lord will bless you for that. And you yourself will get the blessing. Well, in verse 3, 
He says here, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now, so many churches struggle with strife within. Strife seems to kill churches, good churches, faster than the devil can from the outside. It's almost like a rot, if you will, from the inside. Strife. And vainglory is often the cause of the strife. Vainglory is something that someone is pursuing, someone's agenda, someone wants this, someone wants that. I want to be a leader here. I want to be an owner. I want to whatever. That's vainglory. And vainglory will lead to strife within a church. But then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, but in lowliness of mind. Now the word lowliness, the key word is low. And that means to get down. That means to not be a high and mighty. Now you may be a very intelligent person with a high IQ, but you would be wise to get down low, to have a, a lowliness of mind, because having a high IQ can sometimes lead to vainglory, which will lead to strife. And strife kills churches. So if we want to preserve the life of our church, we've got to be on the watch for strife. And that usually comes through vainglory. The antidote for vainglory will be lowliness of mind, a humility, a humbleness, the idea of being pressed down. This is the cure, if you will, for vainglory. And watch what he says in verse 3. Let each esteem other, there's that word again, better than themselves. And that's sometimes so hard to do when you come to church and you see someone and you shake their hand and you might say to yourself, why, that man's a fine Christian or that woman is a fine Christian. And you shake another hand, there's another fine Christian. And then there's someone who's uh, not so fine. And so, you know, you, you may try and just kind of avoid shaking hands or if you have to shake their hand, you're thinking maybe, oh, grow up. Or, oh, I wish you were a better Christian. Or, oh... Just leave the world alone. and You know, we sometimes do that inside our heads. And that's not esteeming other better than us. Truth is, God made it very clear in the Scriptures, there's not many wise, not many noble, right? But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world. And in all honesty, folks, just being honest with you, that's how we got saved. Because we we realize that we're not high and mighty like the world. Good thing, too, because those high and mighty ones end up in hell. You know, I was just reviewing again the life of one of the world's big, high and mighty men. His name was Howard Hughes. And in his day, he was one of two, I think, billionaires. He he was worth two and a half billion dollars when he died back in 1975 or 77, something like that, mid-70s when he died. And he was only like 70, 71. But um, he he owned half of Las Vegas at one time. This guy, he uh, had so much power and connections, the governments feared him. And yet um, uh, he died and left it all behind, didn't he? So high and mighty... He died shriveled up, little old man. He was six foot three, and he weighed uh, just over 90 pounds. Imagine that. He, he probably should have weighed twice that. Just about 90 pounds is what he weighed. 
hair all long, great big long fingernails on him. He was so paranoid. And what kind of life is that? He finally died. Uh, kidney failure, I think it was, that, that he died. Unbelievable. This guy who was the one of the richest... Who's that other guy in the oil? Uh, J. Paul Getty. He was the other, I think, billionaire uh, of the day. Uh, but here's Howard Hughes. Great big high and mighty guy. Where is he now? There's another rich man in hell, isn't there, in Luke chapter 16. And this guy had a lot. And he left it all behind. He lifted up his eyes in hell. And, and his experience teaches us something about hell. Because we don't know very much about hell. But here's a man that's in hell. And he cried out looking for just a drip of water on the end of the finger to cool his tongue. Imagine that. Poor guy. Well, praise the Lord we're not part of the high and mighty. And I suppose we all came to that realization once upon a time and we trusted Christ. So how can we who live in glass houses go around throwing stones? How can we who are broken essentially by sin, we know that, Sin breaks people. That's what sin does. It destroys people. And we've just been honest about it. And we've come to God with our honesty. And now here's someone that may be broken in some areas that we've never been broken in. And, and we don't esteem them uh, very highly at all. In fact, we despise them sometimes. And so this happens in churches. It happens with Christian people. And that's why his pattern for Christian living begins with an appeal to others. Others, folks, others, he's getting at. And so he starts in verse 1 with all this, what we have in Christ, and then he says, make me happy, be like-minded. And then let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. See, what does that mean? That means this. You walk up to, to a Christian, and as you're walking up to them, you're thinking, Lord, that's a better Christian than me. This man is a better Christian than I am. This lady's a better Christian than I am. You know, sometimes I've, I've had this strange thought. Um, still, as Christians, we're not sinless. We, we do sin less, mind you, but we're not sinless. We'll still have a bad thought or we'll say some unkind word or we'll do something we shouldn't, right? And then the Holy Spirit tells us, oh, that wasn't right. That was wrong. And then we have to get right with God. And sometimes I've thought that um, the dog is a better dog than I am as a Christian, as a born-again child of God. I should be walking the walk and talking the talk. I should be like Christ. One day in heaven I will be. But I'm not there yet. And so I'm thinking, man, I slip up. Oh boy, I make mistakes. Oh, I'm not as faithful as I should be. Because remember, sin is a two-sided coin. There's sins of commission. Those are bad things we do. But then there's sins of omission. Those are the good things we're supposed to do. But we don't. And we let God down. So it's a two-edged sword, isn't it? And sometimes I think that the dog is a better dog, better at being a dog, than I am at being a child of God. Sometimes I've thought that. We need to, in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than ourselves. And we do that 
Where's the vain glory? Gone. Where's the strife? There is none. There is none. And so, verse 4, this is where we're going to stop it in verse 4. He says, Look not every man on his own things. Now, that would be things that life revolves around. That would include your job and your home and just the things that involve you. Now, the unsaved man does that. In fact, sometimes Christians do that too. Look at verse 21. Same chapter, verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. And you know it as a Christian. You're guilty of that. You know it. You often put your things first. You seek your way, your things, your agenda. We struggle with that. And we're told here, again, in the pattern, the pattern for Christian living, verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now that means, that doesn't mean you're never to look upon your own things. It just means don't make that 100% of what you look at. Take care of your own things. You have to. You've got responsibilities you've got to look after. You, you need to do that. But at the same time, you've got others around you and you need to esteem those better than yourself. And so, don't just look upon your own things, but every man also on the things of others. Care for one another's things. Look out for one another's things. And so that's why we need to, you know, when we see and greet each other, extend the uh, the sympathetic tear, extend the, the hand of fellowship, uh, you know, and to uh, uh, ask how they're doing and how's things going. So here in these first four verses, Paul begins the pattern of Christian living with the key word others. Others. Now, if we're not following this pattern, then I ask you, what pattern are we following? Because everyone follows some kind of a pattern. A pattern is something that's meant to be copied or imitated. That's what a pattern is for. You have, say, for example, a dress pattern. You buy these things in those little paper bags and you open them up and you take out this paper pattern and you lay it down on the material and you mark and cut and so on, you follow the pattern to make a dress or perhaps make a shirt. Or a recipe is another, is another way, it's another type of pattern, isn't it? A recipe. You follow this recipe and you'll end up with this food uh, dish for your family. Life must follow a pattern. Otherwise, it becomes a disorganized mess. Unless we follow a pattern in life, we'll have a disorganized mumbo-jumbo, a mess. Many lives have become disorganized and very messy because people give up or sometimes rebel. I'm not going to follow anyone's pattern. I want to do my own thing. And they end up a mess. Now, Paul warned us in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world. That's that idea of being pressed into its mold, or if you will, following the pattern of the world. That's the way the unsaved live. Don't follow their pattern. Rather, instead, we're to be transformed into something much more beautiful, but it requires a different pattern. You and I need a pattern to follow. We need a plan. I have a story here for you. Now, I'm not 100% sure as to the accuracy of this, but I, I've read enough sources, it's probably true. It was Christmas Eve, 1910. 
General William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army, and at this point he was near the end of his life. He was pretty much an invalid. He was really old, and it was impossible for him to attend the Salvation Army's annual convention at Christmas. Someone near the general suggested that Booth send a telegram to be read at the opening of the convention to the many Salvation Army soldiers in attendance as a way of encouraging them um, for their many hours of labor and serving others throughout the holidays and the cold winter months. And Booth thought that was a good idea. Now, the funds were limited and telegrams charged by the word. And so to ensure as much money as possible would still go to help the needy, General Booth decided to send a one-word message. He searched his mind and reviewed all his many, many years of ministry, seeking that one word that would summarize his life and the mission of the Salvation Army and encourage the soldiers to continue on. When the thousands of delegates had met and the moderator had announced that General Booth could not be present due to his failing health, gloom and pessimism swept across the convention floor until the moderator announced that Booth had sent a telegram to be read at the start of this first session. He opened the message and read just one word, Others, signed General Booth. Let this be the pattern that we follow. Others. Let the world see a difference in us because we actively, seriously love one another and care for one another. And that's the beginning of this chapter on the pattern for Christian living.